Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is October 25th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by David Byler, our resident electoral number cruncher, and Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, David, we're going to talk about uh, your uh, premature burial of uh, Scott Walker in just a few minutes, uh, Scott Walker's uh, last run. But obviously, uh, hey, th- by the- did I mention to you guys that I that I not only found out, uh, confirmed that uh, Lou Dobbs has lost his mind, but apparently some time ago he blocked me on Twitter, which... It's a badge of I, honor, really. I really... Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I want to talk a little bit about the derangement of the American mind a little bit later. Because uh, these these incidents now, um, well, these incidents, this the 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 spate of uh, alleged um, not alleged uh, but attempted uh, bombings, uh, you, we kind of know what the cycle is going to be like. But I, I do think we kind of moved the window a little bit. So, Michael, let's let's start with this. The uh, the the president uh, said some of the right things yesterday. Uh, in at the White House, uh, some of the right things in uh, in Mosinee, Wisconsin. But he's tweeting this morning again, essentially blaming the media for all of this. So, so give me your your hot take on the finger pointing that's going on. And the reason I'm asking it that way is is that y- you at some time we might have expected a moment like this for everybody to take a deep breath, lower the temperature. But hey, it's 2018, and that's just not going to happen, is it? You're saying I have no, I have no recourse. I have no option to do that. Just just to say something sensible like, well, we don't know who the guy is yet. We really can't make any judgments. You're saying I can't do any of that, Charlie. Is what you can do. You can do all of that, but <laughs> you know which. Which I did yesterday, but I mean the, the 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 train is moving awful fast on that, isn't it? I mean everybody is already back in their own corners. Sure. Well, and 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 well, let so maybe we should just talk about where what facts we know now, um, which are it seems uh, uh, possible that um, there's r- reports that uh, these devices uh, appear to possibly be uh, fake bombs or made to look like real bombs, but not having any actual explosive mm-hmm. material. Um, according to the New York times, that's, uh, at least what, um, uh, uh, what some investigators are, are, uh, are, are saying could, mm-hmm. could be the truth. So, um, but whether or not, whether or not they're false, uh, bombs, fake bombs or, or real bombs, they were clearly intended to, at the very least, uh, frighten a lot of these, uh, a lot, not just the people at CNN or uh, these elected officials, but to just kind of give a sense of of, of terror to um, uh, to, yeah. to anybody in those areas. I don't. I, I you know I'm going to think twice before I go out and get my mail today. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I mean, and 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 you know, we 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 of course know know people, specific people, and obviously people who are public figures um, who have to be concerned about this now. And um, so I, I suppose uh, to ever sent these mission accomplished. Like like you've now created a sense of terror. Um, but but now yeah now we're in this position of whose fault is it um and that's i think we we're at a point where we cannot we cannot start assigning blame because we don't know anything about about who this guy is um we have an idea of who he is uh, this the, I, I was just talking to a colleague about this this morning 
Um, the targets, um, yes, Barack Obama, yes, Hillary Clinton, um, everybody in the world knows who those people are. Um, but then you get uh, down to the nitty gritty. The, the bomb sent to CNN was addressed to John Brennan, who political junkies know, uh, the former CIA director who's been getting in some hot water. But um, the kind of person who would uh, who would sort of have an animus toward John Brennan is, um, I don't know, the type of person who might uh, read uh, certain right wing mm-hmm. uh, uh, conspiracy theory website so like then you you do kind of start to get an idea of who this person might be could it be somebody who's trying to appear like uh like a conspiracy theorist on the right somebody who is a conspiracy theorist on the right we can't answer that but we do have a, a bit of a sense of who this person might be and what they were what message they were trying to send well, and and, th- and that, that's of course why we had the narrative immediately that uh, this is the you know the fault of of donald trump and put the finger on him and and all because we have to rush to that judgment. And, you know, th- this has become incredibly difficult to talk about, uh, particularly on, on cable television, let's be honest about it. I mean, it is ludicrous at this point to claim that only one side is engaging or encouraging violence. I mean, we we have the, you know, a year ago, we had these shootings of Republican congressmen in Washington, D.C. We had the Antifa, you know, street thugs. We had a ricin attack. Uh, somebody sent ricin to uh, to Trump and to uh, Pentagon officials. There have been death threats against Susan Collins. But again, as you point out, look, Donald Trump, I mean, if we are in a combustible era, Donald Trump is the arsonist in chief. And you run down the list of people that he has attacked and he is demonized and uh, you pretty much have that same list. And And this, of course, is what you get when you demonize your opponents, when you describe your political opponents as enemies of the people, when you engage in conspiracy theories, uh, all of that. Um, and, and I guess, you know, what, what, what alarms me about all of this is just a reminder that, and we, we t- we've talked about this in the past, but that political violence is always there beneath the surface. It's, uh, I mean, I'm older than you guys. I remember the 60s. I, I remember when we had riots, when we had political assassinations. Um, we have not evolved into a more peaceful people in, 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 the, in the years since then, necessarily. But at least for a while, we were able to keep uh, the, those, those tr- that tribal anger you know, un, under wraps. Well, so you and do you do wonder whether or not we're in this uh, this cycle of escalation right now, where where neither side is prepared to look themselves in the mirror and say, "Wow, what have I done? What do I need to do to to you know push back on this?" Well, we we should of course. Uh, remember, um, and and in your case, Charlie, you you this was actually in your living memory that that period, um, you know, the late '60s through the '70s, um, was an, was extremely violent when it comes to not just sort of your run of the mill violence, mugging in cities. Um, uh, the murder rate was extremely high at that point, but political violence as well. I mean, there were days where there were um, uh, there was you know a bombing almost every day, and some of some kind, maybe not an explosive bombing, but something that. Um, was incendiary. It somehow yeah, caught somebody. We, we, in fire. we had a we had a fatal bombing here in Madison, Wisconsin. I mean, it was it, yeah. that. So uh, we, I, I, I do not think we are in a position where that is that is happening uh, at this point, which is a good thing. And I think that um, uh, what what is simmering underneath what you what you're discussing, Charlie, um, is there, but we're not seeing it manifested. I will say this though, it's so frustrating. You 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 mentioned what happened over a year ago, the uh, where Steve Scalise and, and other uh, members, Republican members of Congress, were shot at. Scalise, of course, was injured, almost died a couple of times in his recovery. Um, you know. Um, 
I've seen responses to what's happened uh, here with CNN and, and uh, Obama and, and the rest uh, getting these 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 packages. Where the response from certain people on the right is is kind of well, because uh, you know, there's been this idea, you know, this idea. This is a this is sort of a new threshold we've crossed here, and people. Well, what about what happened to Steve Scalise? There's this right, idea that right. like we're, we have to start like ranking um, who is more bad, who is who's more evil, or who is more sort of uh, what which side of the political aisle is is more you know, what, uh, affronted what, what by is a, violence. What about is a powerful drug, isn't it? It it I mean, is, that, and it, but it's it, it misses the point, which is, um, well, I think in this case where you can take the president's uh, remarks this morning on Twitter, where he blamed um, the 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 news media for, uh, in particularly CNN, for saying things that was fake, and that's why they got a bomb. I mean, ultimately, this is a question of like leadership. I think I've, I I hit on this theme like probably too much on this podcast, but like leadership and responsibility. Um, leaders should should not say what comes to their mind uh, 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 at, at any sort of moment in a political rally or when they're tweeting early in the morning as they're watching TV. Um, and news outlets should be much more responsible in the way that they uh, talk about this, treat this. Um, you know, it's it's not helpful to have people going around saying, um, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And this is, uh, I can't remember who I saw say it, but, you know, um, now this is the most political violence we've ever seen. Well, no, that's not true. It's kind of irresponsible if you say that. Um, thankfully, nobody died. Uh, no, no, no actual explosions here. Uh, and we should wait for more of the facts to come in no, before I, we make some I, conclusions. I, I agree. But of course, we, we never do. Uh, by the way, speaking of political violence, uh, was uh, last year as well what happened in Charlottesville. Of course. We actually saw that. So, I, I I will admit that I'm I'm probably a little bit more nervous than than you are about where we're going because you know we are not immune to history a phrase I've used before and when you have really you know bitter tribal rivalries it does not take much for those tribal rivalries to become tribally violent you know and and again when when you are saying that your opponents you know are evil and they hate America, and they are deceitful, and they want to destroy you, or on the other side, that they are Nazis, um, you know, w- what will it take? You know, what, what sort of a match would it take to uh, to explode all of this? Uh, and But again, you know, taking the focus off Trump, and, and, I, and, I, and I did describe him as the arsonist in, in chief, I'll get, I'll get emails saying that I, you know, I, I downplayed that, but the, the way he is, in fact, uh, coarsened the, the public debate, what I think is more important is, again, to shift the focus to the people who are listening to him, what behaviors he is giving a green light to, what behaviors he is modeling, how he has moved the window of, of, of acceptable behavior. And, and I think that's what you have to be disturbed by, yes. that, that, that we are a country of 300 plus million people. How many deranged individuals? And by the way, maybe it's not deranged. You know, maybe you know, political hate, political violence is not only committed by crazy people. Maybe we tell ourselves they're crazy because we, you know, that's that's reassuring. But but there are people out there who will take this rhetoric seriously, who believe that someone is trying to destroy America, who are enemies of the people, and and then we'll draw the, the, the logical conclusion from that. Speaking of which, the derangement of the American mind. I was talking with Jim Swift about this uh, earlier this morning. Uh, the number of folks on the right who have adopted the, uh, the the position that m- maybe these bombs are fake. 
Maybe this is a false flag operation. Maybe the Democrats are behind this. Maybe they figured, hey, we could blow up Hillary and Bill Clinton to own the, the conservatives. What really strikes me is that the kind of conspiratorial thinking that would have been that we would have regarded as consigned to the far reaches of the Alex Jones fever swamp has now become, and I'm holding up my fingers here, you know, mainstream in some conservative circles, not mainstream to rational conservatives. But, uh, you know, we've all become Alex Jones now. And, and I think this is also a marker of the era that we're in, that, that previously rational human beings are now essentially willing to adopt the most bizarre sort of conspiracy theory. Yeah, and and look, not to bring it back to Donald Trump, but Donald Trump appeared on Alex Jones's radio show. I know, uh, I know. ahead of the 2016 election. So um, I think these these um, uh, the role that leaders have, and particularly Donald Trump in this particular instance, um, in legitimizing um, uh, you know uh, fringy views, uh, cannot be understated. And I think that that's that's something that. Um, requires uh, leaders to kind of stand up to their own side or to stand up to people who would otherwise um, be be supportive and say, listen, I'm, this is this is, goes too far. The problem is that somebody like Donald Trump, and I think Donald Trump sort of opened the gates for, um, for everybody, it's not just on the right, it's on the left too, um, to sort of throw out that prudence, that idea of being prudent um, and, and, and not necessarily, um, uh, you know, Donald Trump has no bone in his body that can ever sort of criticize or go after somebody who's on his side, who's defending right, him. Right. And um, that's a, that, that's something that I think has damaged overall the, 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 yeah, the, the political culture. Right. So we have the, the, the crackpots who, in, in, in fact, find themselves, find their position, their attitudes are reinforced, and there's no, and there's no downside to it for some of them. And, and the list of people who have been willing to embrace this, you know, from Candace Owens to, uh, to, to Lube Dobbs to Rush Limbaugh, um, again, this window has uh, has shifted, and and the the real danger, of course, is that we we start to see you know again the inability ever to acknowledge that maybe our side has some problems, uh, express sympathy for the other side, uh, engage in any sort of meaningful self examination. It is just not going to be happening anytime soon. Unfortunately, of course, we will wait for the facts to come out as if facts matter. See, I'm becoming too cynical here. Um, now, David, uh, appreciate you standing by because uh, we are less than two weeks in front of the midterms, and I want to talk about uh, what you're seeing on the ground because there's lots of speculation about the blue wave, the blue wave uh, crashing, uh, all of that. And of course, uh, you suggested uh, that uh, this may be Scott Walker's last ride. But before we get to that, today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us do a pretty lousy job and quick is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers it's designed to make brushing your teeth more simple affordable even enjoyable if that's possible quip features sensitive sonic vibrations which are which are gentle on your sensitive gums and why is that important well because a lot of you brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive quip has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides helping guide a full and even clean because up to 90 percent of us do not brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly look these brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks just five bucks three out of four of us use bristles that are old worn out and effective if you sign up for this you will be guaranteed to get a new brush every three months. 
So this is why I love Quip, why they're backed by more than 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and you can, if you go to right now, getquip.com slash standard right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash standard, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash standard. Okay, David, I'm sitting here in the state of Wisconsin, and you have a piece up on the Weekly Standard today suggesting that uh, this may be Scott Walker's last rodeo. Um, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I really found your initial analysis of, of the state of punditry to be very, very interesting, that, uh, that immediately after the 2016 election, a lot of pundits began talking as if uh, the new Trump voters, the Romney, the Clinton, or Obama Trump voters were basically the heart and soul of the new parties. Um, There are a lot of problems with that narrative, aren't there? There are loads of problems with that narrative. I mean, there's the fact that the party base is actually the party base. If you want to appropriately characterize both parties, you should probably talk a lot about white evangelicals for the Republican Party. You should probably talk a lot about black and Hispanic voters in the Democratic Party. Like, there's there's a bunch of different problems, but one big one, the one that I hone in on in this piece is that if a voter flips from one party to another, at sort of in the time between two major elections, they should probably be characterized as a swing voter. I mean, if you think about Wisconsin in 2016, yes, you have a Trump win there, but in 2012, you had an Obama win with a number of the people who voted for Trump voting for Obama. Um, in, uh, 2014, you had Scott Walker winning, Scott Walker winning the governorship in 2012. Some of those same people probably voted for Tammy Baldwin in 2010. Some of those same people probably voted for Scott Walker and Ron Johnson. So you can sort of go back through this, but people act as if, you know, Republicans are only characterized by blue collar whites in the upper Midwest and Democrats are only characterized by suburbanites outside of Dallas and Houston and what have you. And those are the people who are probably the least attached to their parties. And I think that actually is creating a problem for Scott Walker in Wisconsin. So basically what you're saying is there are swing voters. There are voters yeah. who swing back and forth. They they are not obsolete. So what, do, think, what is the what is the problem for Scott Walker then, as you see it? And I'll, and I'll tell you about because I talked to some, uh, some, some political people about your piece this morning. So we'll... Okay, well, I'd be interested to hear what they have to say. But my my basic uh, thinking here is that Scott Walker has a Donald Trump problem, where if you think about the fact that Donald Trump has really low or pretty low, I guess it's it's better than it has been in sort of past moments in this administration, but still pretty low approval ratings. You think, yeah. okay, that uh, drop off is not really among the Republican base. It's going to be among marginal voters. We've seen for a while, uh, both in Trump's statewide approval ratings in Wisconsin and just in other general data points that, you know, the sort of marginal voter that we're talking about uh, in Wisconsin is going to be the type that might change their mind, might, you know, have Mm -hmm. voted for Trump, but might be a little bit disappointed right now. And that that creates a problem. And and to, to draw this out, I looked and I compared the Senate polling versus the polling in the race for governor. So in the Senate polling, it really looks like Tammy Baldwin is in pretty solid shape. Uh, Real Clear Politics has her with a low double-digit lead. My swing seat model, uh, it's a forecast based on polling and a number of other factors, um, gives her a roughly 98% (laughs) shot of winning. Um, and I, I even, I even did a run of the model where I said, okay, just, just don't think at all about head to head polling. 
just think about the fact that, you know, President Trump's unpopular in this year and it's Wisconsin and there's a Democrat. J- just think about the basic facts. And it still gave sort of an incumbent Democrat a 94 percent chance of winning against kind of a generic Republican candidate. So Walker has this hill to climb where he has to be able to win over uh, some of these voters who dislike Trump who are voting for Baldwin sort of as a protest vote to that. And he's done that to some extent, but he's still trailing, right? In the average poll taken sort of from the summer to now, Walker is doing about eight points better in terms of margin than um, Vukmir. Or Vukmir, I always get the pronunciation. Vukmir, sorry, I get the pronunciation. He's doing about eight points better than Vukmir is. And that's good, but it still leaves him at about a three, four point deficit against Evers, the Democratic candidate for governor, which, you know, that that is a flippable deficit, but it's a deficit. And as in his last three elections, he's gone into the election with, uh, you know, really substantial differentiable from Thai mm-hmm. sort of lead in the polling. Well, he, he, all all of that is true. So, as I said, I, I talked to some folks about it this this morning, and no no one, by the way, disagrees with uh, the analysis about the Senate race. Uh, Baldwin appears to be cruising. I, I think Bukmir made the decision. Lee is a good friend of mine, but she made the decision that she was going to go full Trump, and I'm not sure that was the the smartest tactical or strategic decision in in 2018. Um, the the pushback I got on Walker is that uh, you know you you can't underestimate you know how strong the turnout models are I mean the turnout efforts are for Republicans and the enthusiasm among Republicans for Walker um, I've used the phrase Walker you know um, the, you know that people have you know gotten maybe uh, fatigued with him but uh, the the reality is is that Republicans are motivated the big question is whether or not the Democrats are going to be able to turn out these irregular voters the folks that sat home two years ago did not turn out for Hillary Clinton. But uh, if, uh, if in fact, the electorate looks like uh, it, it, it has in other midterm elections, what Republican insiders are telling me is they still think that Walker is in a solid position. And in part, that's because candidates matter. And Tony Evers is a, uh, th- let's say, the, the opposite of charisma. I mean, he is uh, he's boring, he's dull, uh, he's not setting anyone on fire, uh, he is prone to be making some mistakes. Now, that doesn't change anything that you described. I mean, there's no question about if there is a big blue wave, uh, if... Uh, if there is a you know fall off because of uh, of Trump or because of the the Baldwin race, that's a problem because Walker's margins are never that high. But uh, the economic uh, situation is good here. I can, in fact, envision people voting for Baldwin. Now, th- this may be unicorns voting for Baldwin because of federal issues, but because state politics is separable, might be willing to split their ballot. But again, that's something we haven't seen a lot of. But so that the the, the conventional wisdom among um, Republic, smart Republican insiders, I'm not talking about the Kool-Aid drinkers, is they still think that uh, the Republican turnout is going to be solid. Uh, it's going to be overwhelmingly for Walker. Evers is an unusually weak candidate. But as you point out, uh, there are other factors that could make 2018 very different than 2010 and 2014. Yeah, I think those are all uh, interesting thoughts. And I think there's a lot of merit to a lot of them. I think that there's a couple places where I might give a little bit of pushback. One is that in terms of midterm turnout, I don't think this midterm is going to be like 2014 or 2010. When you had President Obama in the White House, you had Republicans helped by this big differential turnout, which, you know, it 
makes sense that that would have happened. You know, people, President Obama at the time of both of those midterms was really fairly unpopular. So you had a lot of Republicans energized sort of to, you know, come out and vote against him. So I think using the most recent past midterm elections as a model is a little bit dangerous. And it's, it's, a, so, tough, yeah. it's a tough it's a tough problem to tackle, because if you think back, OK, 2006 is the last time when there was an unpopular Republican during a midterm election. Well, the Democratic Party also looked a bit different then. It was, you know, um, a bit less diverse. It was more reliant on sort of union-ish type blue-collar white Democrats. Like, you you also wonder about that. So pollsters are trying to estimate it. But I, I do think that it's possible that the turnout um, ends up looking anywhere from you know, okay to really pretty bad uh, for Republican candidates uh, overall. And when I say turnout, I mean just kind of the net, how it all shakes out between increased Republican turnout, increased Democratic turnout, et cetera. And, you know, I do, I mean, the polling data does show that uh, there probably are people who are going to, you know, cast their ballot for Baldwin and cast their ballot for Walker. The question is, is it enough to reverse, uh, you know, possibly 11 12 point margin i mean maybe, no, that's right no maybe that, that, that's a big number are, that's yeah a, ma- that's a big number and i mean maybe the polls are wrong and maybe it's you know a six or a seven point baldwin margin and then walker you know ekes it out or something like that that that's a that's a plausible scenario but i never try to predict which way the polls are going to go wrong because I, I don't know why it feels like this, but it just feels like any time anyone tries to predict that, the universe decides to like make them wrong. You no, know, I think I, that 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 is that is a, that is a smart take. And of course, uh, even the people I'm talking to say that uh, you know all of their projections are based on certain turnout models. You change that turnout model just a little bit, and the result uh, turns out to be turns out to be quite different. Well, we're all going to find out, boy. You know, the how many days are we? Twelve days away now. Yeah, we're all, all going to be. Right. We're all going to be so much smarter. And uh, somebody <laughs> texted me this morning and said, well, it's really going to be ugly the next 12 days. And I said, yes, it will. And then it gets uglier even after that. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.